0: little bit of an outfit mess up in the car, and so about, uh, I don't know what time it is now, about an hour ago, I'm at my house uh, doing laundry real quick, and so that's not something I expected to do. I know some of you are parents, and you're like, yeah, good, congratulations, that's every day. Um, But it's been a wonderful time, and we don't have to wonder if she's going to come up here this time, she's just up here. So uh, I'm just going to skip the joke, right? You guys good with that? I'll use it next week. Oh, I think I heard, what'd you say? Oh, sorry. I thought I heard Sean cheer that I was skipping the joke. No. Um, We are continuing the Amazing Acts series this week. And it's such a cool series for me and for all of us because it's about the new church. And it's about the disciples, and it's about everything that happened after Jesus called them to be disciples, after he called them to to be the church. And so we get to see the history unfold. We get to see everything unfold. We get to see everything that Jesus set aside. And then we also get to see how we can be and what we can do. And so through the course of this series, we've talked about different disciples and different people who really stepped up in the church. And so this week, we're going to go to Saul, who becomes Paul, and I want to read from Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 31. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is indeed the Son of God. So I know last week we talked about Ananias, but I want to start, too, with the bravery that he showed going to see Saul, because this is not the Saul that became Paul that we know. Now, he had began that transformation, and Jesus really touched him and changed him. But as far as Ananias goes, this is the guy who had just murdered one of his friends and who was involved in all of these horrible things and could have arrested him. So we see his bravery, and we see his prayers, and Saul saw that, too. So Ananias' example, even though we don't know as much about him, and even though there aren't books written by him, and even though we don't talk about him as much, he mattered to Saul's life. The way that he showed who Jesus was to him right away. And then this, where he's prayed over and where the Spirit comes down, is where he was born again. Where Saul was remade into a, a Christian, into a disciple, into a follower of Christ. Now, no one, no one would have been upset if Saul had said, you know what? I was just blind. And you know, I've done a lot of bad stuff and I was walking around. And and so I could just rest for a while. Now, I love Jesus and I'm going to go preach, but I'm going to rest for a while and I need to kind of wait. I need to make sure that I I go to classes and I need to learn all this stuff. And it's not that that stuff's bad, obviously. But instead, he was so filled and so in love with Jesus and, and so powerfully changed, he could not stay there a moment longer and he immediately got baptized immediately got baptized. So it's like he can see and he gets his strength back and then he's like, boom, I want to get baptized. I got to go do this because I know what it's like to be lost and I know what it's like to feel wrong and I know what it's like to be on the wrong side and I've got to tell people that there's a better way. And so he saw his conversion as a pattern, as a pattern for everyone. And he could not wait to share that. He could not wait to help people see that. He could not wait to teach that. And he knew firsthand how vital it was to answer that call. He knew firsthand what it felt like when someone reached out and prayed with you. What it felt like when Jesus talked to you. He knew that. And he could not hold it in. This is the church. This is what we can do. This is who we are. And so he goes out there. And because of who he was, because he had been a Pharisee, and because he knew the Scriptures backwards and forwards, He knew everything. He knew all of the, 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 he had it memorized. And so he knew all of this. He knew everything about the Old Testament, although, you know, to them, it was just the Testament. So he knew everything about all of that. And so he knew that there was a custom in the synagogue that anyone who was a man of God could come and speak. Any Jewish man, any able Jewish man could come and speak from the scriptures at meetings. And so Saul knew that. Now, I think some of us picture this and we think, you know, what, I would just go in there and I would let it loose on them. And I would just say everything about Jesus. And I would just say everything about the the gospel and the disciples and everything. And I would say everything about what is going to happen. But he goes in there. And it's not that he waters down the message. It's not that he changes it. He preaches straight from the Old Testament, from the scriptures they knew. Because he knew it. And so he tells them everything that it says about the Messiah and everything that Jesus did and he talks to them about it and he goes back and forth and he he goes over it and he's such a powerful speaker and such an intelligent person and so changed. And you can just imagine this. Like a couple days ago, this guy was up here saying, yeah, let's go kill Stephen and let's do this and let's do all this bad stuff. And now this same person is up there and he's like, guys, we've been wrong. And so you can imagine that a lot of the people were like, "Ah, I don't know about that. This is like, if I'm like, hey, Fish, we've been doing things wrong. Fish is going to be like, what are you talking about? We're both Marvel fans. That's the way you're supposed to be, and that's right. And that's not the part that's wrong. But it's, it's like you're going to feel a little singled out, and you're going to be like, what is he doing? How has he changed this much? What is going on? But he was doing it in truth, and he was doing it with grace, and he was doing it in love. And one of the things he said, we read a lot, obviously, that Jesus is the Son of God. And for new Christians especially, but even over time, we kind of get a little confused with that. Now, we know he is the Son of God, but we're like, well, shouldn't we also say he's God? Or what about the Trinity, and what about this? Well, at those times, and the reason that phrase was used so often, is because when son of was in front of something, that basically meant your identity was shared with whoever you were the son of, because the father-son dynamic was so huge. And so they're saying Jesus is God. They're saying he's the Son of God. They're saying he's more than that. Now that's true, that's true, but it's also blasphemous, it's also blasphemous, and Saul knew that, but he's not doing it angrily, again, he's just doing it because it's so important, and right away, he is not only following Jesus, but he is committing blasphemy in his name, and so I have a quote, I hope I didn't get a chance to look over things. (sighs) Okay, Uh, yes, all of my quotes this week are actually scripture from Paul, I thought that'd be kind of cool. You guys don't, but that's fine. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for human beings. Now, you notice what it says there is not, hey, when you're at church, do everything like you're working for the Lord. And when you go home, you know, kind of do your own thing and you're fine and you'll be okay. Or when you go to work, you know, you know, you got to be who you got to be and you got to fit in and all this stuff. It's Everything you do, every single place you go, every time you're around people, every time you're not around people, you are a witness. We are a witness. And Saul knew that. And so he couldn't wait to get started. He couldn't wait to go to the synagogue. He couldn't wait to talk about what had happened to him. He had to do it because he was doing it for the Lord. He had to do it because it was his life. He had to do it because it was everything. And he threw everything into his ministry right away just as much as he'd thrown everything into doing the wrong thing, he was now doing it the right way. And he was willing to admit that he'd been wrong. And so it was for the Lord, not for him, not for the disciples, not even for the church. It was for the Lord that he worked. What we do, that matters. And that's ministry. How we are, how we treat people, how we post, how we talk to people, how we talk about people, that's ministry, that's a witness. Sometimes we think, well, the pastor and the music people and sure, the tech team and and the ushers and like the people in the church, that's ministry and the Sunday school teachers, we get that. We are all ministers without even saying a word, just by being who we are, by showing, by throwing everything we have into serving him, by throwing everything we have into who we are, into how Jesus has called us, into how he has loved us and showing that love, showing that hope. Showing that grace, just like Saul, who had every excuse in the book to be like, before I go to the synagogue, I know these people. Let me start at an easy place, like a kindergarten or a bunch of four-year-olds. I gotta tell you, when I'm with her, uh, she thinks I'm the funniest person in the world. So some of you guys could talk to her and not tell her the opposite, but try to learn from her. In fact, the fu- she was telling her mom On Wednesday, uh, my uncle says, uh, hey, what's going on back there? And she just cracks up, and she thinks it's so funny, although right now she's not paying attention to me, but that's fine. (laughs) And she just cracks up, and so that makes me feel good, and that matters to me. Everything we do matters to him, and he looks at us like we are the world. He loves us so much, Jesus does. And Paul knew that, and he went and told that. Going to verse 21. Uh, All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's teaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket uh, through an opening to the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him, and they did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostle and told told them, how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Because of Saul's experience as a Pharisee, so because he had been on that side and persecuting people, and he knew the Scriptures to the point that he could use them to persecute people, and he could find every little thing. You remember Jesus at one point had said, hey, Pharisees, you guys are straining out uh, little bugs, and you're leaving camels, and it's like you're focusing on the wrong things. You're focusing on the fact that I'm working on the Sabbath, not on the fact I'm helping people and loving people and leading them to God, and so Saul knew all of that. He knew everything they held on to, and he knew everything that they wanted, and so he goes and he talks about it, and because he was so knowledgeable, and because he was so changed, they couldn't refute him. Like, he's saying, hey, listen, I know the scriptures, guys, and he quoted them, and he said them, and he didn't change them. He didn't take them out of context. He used them. And then the people and the crowds and everybody that listened are like, wow, maybe Jesus is the Messiah. Look at what he's done to this guy, this murderer, this person who's so angry. And it's so amazing. And his preaching grew more and more. His preaching grew stronger and stronger because he gave more and more to the Lord. And he gave everything to him. And he wasn't just quoting it. He was truly living it. And so they saw that. But because of that, He was now a little bit a man without a country because all of the Pharisees that he'd been best buds with and they went to the clubs and they hung out and they they talked about people and they watched the game, they were like, hey, the Reds have won this many in a row. This is awesome. Okay. (laughs) I thought thought I'd get something for that, but that's fine. Uh, And so they're like, hey, you know, we're all together and everything's good. And, And now they saw him and they're like, this is not who he is. What is he doing? How can this guy be the same person? Like, he's not my friend. He's changed. He's betrayed us. He's a traitor. And so they thought that he was making them look bad. And he was making them feel bad. And so all of his former associates, all of his former best friends, everybody that was around him when he was persecuting, they now hated him. And they wanted him dead. And so to them, he had basically joined a cult, and he just didn't see it. And so they're moving away from him. Now, on the other hand, the believers... We're scared to death of him. Now, Ananias probably was telling people and they saw some evidence, but still it's like, what if he's a spy? What if he's kind of trying to trick us? What if if he's just trying to get us all in a room and then he's going to get us arrested then? So it took a while. Because to them, he was maybe a spy or maybe somebody they couldn't trust or he was a scammer, something like that. I know sometimes I get emails from Pastor Andy about gift cards and things. And the email address is like, Pastor Andy, and then like a bunch of letters and all that stuff. So it's not really him, I assume. I guess I don't know that. Uh, And so we see scams, and you see how they're more and more real. And so you get how they would be scared of him. And now at this point, though, think about what most people would do in Saul's case. Now, he's got nobody to blame for this situation but himself, and it's a good situation in terms of how he's changed his life. But in that situation, imagine that you've made this huge change and you've agreed to preach, and you've agreed to be a Christian, and you've agreed to help people, and the people that you're trying to help all hate you now. And the people that you're working with, they don't trust you. So he feels that, and he's there, and he could have been like, eh, maybe I don't. it's not too late to go back to where I was. Maybe it's not too late to go back and, and kind of say, whoops, just joking. Or maybe, more realistically, could have been like, I thought these Christians were supposed to love and forgive. Like, why won't they trust me? I give up. He could have done that. Instead, instead, he knew that everything he'd done was on him. And he knew it would take time. And he knew that people had hated Jesus. And he knew that people were just hurt and, and, and bothered. And so he didn't get angry. He didn't turn from the faith. He used it as strength. Because he had met Jesus basically face to face. And as I've said before, If you see a true example of Jesus, if you truly see Jesus in someone, you cannot be unchanged. Now, people can ignore it, and they can avoid it, and they can run away from it, but you cannot deny that you saw Jesus there. And Saul knew that, and he would not lose that. He wouldn't give it up. All the rest didn't matter. All that mattered was that he was throwing everything into serving Jesus. And then Barnabas comes along, and like Ananias, he takes a leap of faith. And he's like, Jesus must know something. I trust him, so I'm going to trust him here. And he goes to people and says, listen, I'm going to put my name on the line here. I'm going to put my name on the line here. And I'm going to say, we can trust this saw guy. We can trust him, and we can work with him, and he's doing the right thing. And so he stepped up courageously. He stepped up uh, uh, like Jesus would. And I have a second quote. Um, okay, no trial has come to you, but what is human? God is faithful and will not let you be tried beyond your strength. But with the trial, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Saul knew this. He knew, in fact, that the, all, most of the trials he was facing, he was the cause of them. He had done all the things that people were accusing him of. He had made people not be able to trust him. Like, he had done all of this. Often when something happens to us, we think, that's not fair. This never happens to anybody else. Or, I've done everything. I've changed. How come they don't see that? And that does hurt. And it is hard. But Saul understood everybody faces this stuff. Everybody faces something. Everybody has trials of differing degrees and at different times and different ways. And everybody faces them. And Saul was wise enough to know, I cannot let this stop me, because God must be here for me, and he's with me, and he'll help me. And sometimes it feels like we're singled out, and I get that. I get that, but that's a universal feeling, because everybody feels singled out, and everybody feels like they're alone, and everybody feels like they're lost, and everybody feels like they can't step anywhere without accidentally stepping on a little girl. Everybody feels (laughs) like it's all on them at some point. But some people ignore it or they use it for anger or hatred. They use it to build a wall around their heart. And they say, this is just, nobody cares. I'm all alone and I don't care about this. I'm not going to care about them. And so they want others to face the same trials and worse. They want others to struggle because they struggle. They want others to hurt because they hurt. They want others to feel as bad as they feel. That's not the right way to do it. Some just give up. They turn back, and they're like, I, I'm, not, I'm done with this Christian stuff. It's supposed to be easy, and it's not easy. It, it, it just, it doesn't, it's, it's not fun anymore. And they pretend that the trials aren't there. And they just escape into something, or they ignore it, and they go forward, and they bring in the wrong people, like the prodigal son, or something like that. But we, like Saul, know that we do not face any trial alone. Obviously, Jesus is with us. But also, if we look and we listen and we trust and we hope, there will be a Barnabas for us. Somebody who comes along and says, you know what? They're okay. And I am with them too. And I want them to know that it's okay. There will be an Ananias if we just put ourselves out there and we just love and we just show Jesus An Ananias who prays with us. An Ananias who listens to us. An Ananias who does little spins around us. An Ananias who helps us to learn that we are not alone. But we have to be who we are. We have to understand that the trials are not our own. We have to be willing to ask for help. We have to be willing to admit that we're not perfect. We have to be willing to admit That there is more to life than what we know. It means that there is a way through. Now this does not mean that God causes our troubles. It doesn't mean that God puts a trial in front of you to, to make you sad. It doesn't mean that God puts a trial in front of you to hurt you intentionally. But it means that he is there in those trials. And he is there to help you see through them. And he is there to tell you that these trials have come before. And that people have been hurt before. And so we can learn from them. We can help them. We can open them. One of the things, there are a few things people say about me as a pastor. Yes. As a pastor, one of them is that I talk too much, as I just heard. That's okay, sweetie. Everybody else was thinking the same thing. The other is that I am very open. And who you see up here is who I am. I'm not by no means perfect or special, but I will be honest about how I'm feeling. And I show what Jesus has done through me and with me and how I still struggle, but He's still there. And that's what we do. That's how we witness. That's how we deal with those trials. That's how we learn from Him. That's how we keep fighting. Last part of the scripture. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them preaching, boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to uh, Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Saul continued to have trouble. And we think of him again as Paul, and and we think of all that he wrote and all that he did and the churches that he started and the missions that he went on and the help that he did. I would bet that even up until the last, there were people here and there that would remind him about his past. People that would say, yeah, I know you started like 100 churches, and you've gone on all these missionary journeys, and you've helped people see Jesus, but remember when you did this? And that hurts, but he kept going. He kept going. He continued to have struggles and enemies, but he also continued to gain allies and strength. He continued to give his all, to learn, to grow, to help. And he gets sent back to Tarsus, not as like a punishment or not to just keep him safe, but Tarsus was a major shipping city, a major university city. In fact, in those days, there were like three big university cities where people would go to learn and people would go to to grow in their intelligence and and get degrees and uh, get masters in creative writing that are lucrative, obviously, and do all this stuff. And Tarsus was one of those. And In fact, some say it was maybe the best of the three in the Mediterranean world. And so he had a lot to talk about, and he had a lot to do, and he had a lot of people that could learn from him. But more than that, even when he wasn't talking, his life spoke volumes. Because everywhere he went, people knew who he'd been. And yes, some reminded him of that, but more said, He can change. If he can change, and he can do this for Jesus, and Jesus gave him a second chance, maybe he'll give me one. And so they learned, and his life alone was a witness. His life alone was the gospel, and he showed it, and he lived it. Now, historically, Caiaphas, who we know from the crucifixion deal, Caiaphas, who we know uh, was replaced as the high priest, However, at the same time, Caligula came in as emperor. And if you're not familiar with Caligula, I encourage you to go and read everything you can about him. Spoiler alert, he's not a great guy. And so the the fact that the church had peace did not mean there was no trouble. It did not mean there was no persecution. It did not mean that everybody's like, oh, hey, let's go be Christian now and let's love each other. Oh, that person showed me Jesus. I'm going to, you know, show it back. They didn't mean that at all. It just meant that they felt peace because God was so there. And they had a purpose. And they knew they were the church. And they knew what the church was. And they knew how to do it. And Saul was out there. And the disciples were out there. And everybody was showing who Jesus was. The church loved God. The church loved others. Saul loved God. Saul loved others. The disciples loved God. The disciples loved others. And they showed the blueprint, the pattern for what we can do, for who we can be, for who we should be. And so I have a final quote from Saul. For me, or for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm sure we've heard that before. So let's go through it. To live is Christ. That means to be like him. Persecution and all. It means that people are going to get bored by us. And people are going to hate us. And people are going to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to be around you or I'm going to leave or whatever. People are going to hurt us. But it also means that we continue to show love, to show grace, to show who God is. We live like Christ. We live like Christ because that is the example we can set. That's the legacy we can leave. That's who we can be. And then to die is gain goes along with that. It means that we know this life is just what it is. It can be good. And we can do a lot of good things. We can help people. We can show people who he is. But in the end, there's something better waiting for us. And so we're living for that. But more than that, we're living so that everybody else can see the path to that. Because as I've said, you may be the only example of Jesus somebody sees. The only example of living as Christ that somebody sees. And what we do, what we say, how we act, that can't earn our way into heaven. Only being saved can do that. But it can show people that path. It can show people that today is gain. It can show people the beauty of everything. And so like Saul, so, we can help people to see the beauty of both. To see the power of both. To see the love in both. To learn that it's never too late to change. And it's never too late to hope. And it's never too late to love. And we can go out there and we can be the church. That's all I got. They're clapping for you. Yeah?